The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Hello, I'm Victoria Jones. Delighted to be with you today in for Leslie Marshall, who is taking some well-earned time off. I will be with you today. And we have a great show coming up for you today. In a few minutes' time, we'll be talking with Nicholas Wapshot, who is the international editor of Newsweek and an author. And we are going to be handicapping the horses, four-legged and three-legged, in tomorrow night's Fox News debate. And we may handicap, I don't know what they are actually, they're not horses, the moderators. I wonder what animals they are. So you've got horses running. I think they're marsupials. I think that's what they are actually. I think they're marsupials. We may handicap them too because it's ridiculous. You can't run the debate of 10 people with three moderators who are all jockeying and jostling for airtime. doesn't make any sense. There should be one moderator who can run the thing, control the thing, and get an ebb and flow of topics going, feel the room, feel the vibe, and control it. With three of them, it's going to be choppy. They're all going to have binders. They've all been talking about their binders, not binders full of women, a.k.a. Mitt Romney, but binders of what they want to ask. Well, of course, they're going to want to get their questions in. They may not even have very good chemistry. So you're you're never going to get a real flow going. And anyway, they don't have long enough to answer. So we're going to get into all that coming up shortly. And then we're going to talk about President Obama's Iran speech today, later on, in which he compared Iran's hardliners to the Republican caucus. To applause. That didn't go down too well in the Senate today. First of all, a few things I want to get to. What is up with opening fire in movie theaters? Is this a thing now? Is this like the, the summer thing? Because, frankly, to anybody who's thinking about it, it's very unoriginal and very boring. It's just very, very dull and very, very stupid. Metro Nashville police say a suspect who opened fire in an Antioch theater, that's sort of south of Nashville. I used to live in Nashville this afternoon, also had a hatchet. That's nice. May have injured one person with the hatchet, so that's just lovely. Anyway, uh, that person's dead. Good. They also said three people were injured with pepper spray. One of the three people had superficial wounds that may have come from the hatchet. Uh, 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 It's uh, it's just bizarre. Anyway, there was gunfire. The gunman is deceased. The police did enter through the projection room, it seems. Uh, They were showing Mad Max, which seems appropriate. Uh, The officer returned fire. The guy opened fire. I think it was... 
I'm guessing it was a man. It's just a, it's a wild guess, but it's a guess. They do say the gunman opened fire in the Tennessean story. Officer retired, fire, backed away out of the theater. Then the SWAT team came in, confronted him, and uh, he's dead. So, good. Oh, you thought I was a bleeding heart liberal. Nope. Not. Not when it comes to that kind of thing. You know, I thought about going to the movies last weekend and because I really want to see Mission Impossible. And uh, I wanted to see Jurassic World. And actually, I wanted to see Mission Impossible. And it was impossible to get in. But it flickered through my mind. Just flickered. I wonder if there's a crazy person going to be in the theater. Because it does now. It was there after James Holmes shot up Aurora. Then it went away. And then it came back after Lafayette. And it was just going away because, you know, memory like a guppy. And now it's back again. And this is ridiculous. Movie theaters should be safe. Places should be safe for us to go. We shouldn't, one, have to be armed in movie theaters. And I hope there isn't going to be a move towards that. And two... We shouldn't have to start having ridiculous searches, which is what's also going to happen. So meantime, the number two Senate Republican, who's also the whip, John Cornyn of Texas, is introducing a bill today with NRA backing. So it's probably a bit suspect. It's designed to encourage local communities to identify gun applicants who are seriously mentally ill. Now, this is something that Democrats have wanted to do also for some considerable time. And also the, um, the uh, mental health community has wanted to do this. The idea is to keep it out of the hands of people who are mentally ill. There's a lot of calls from gun safety advocates to strengthen background checks, obviously. The, it's called the, Nas- the Mental Health and Safe Communities Act. He says the legislation will fix the existing background check system without expanding it. And there you are. That's the key. They say that it will fix the existing background check system. But actually, even reading through, and I only have two stories on this. I have a story from the Washington Post and a story from The Hill, but I'm sure there's more. Actually, it doesn't. Cornyn says... It will also provide the bill uh, more treatment options for people who are dangerously mentally ill. Good. That's excellent. But when you get down into the weeds with this bill, you discover there's a couple of problems with it. The legislation would encourage states to send the FBI the records of at least 90% of the people they know have serious mental health issues, using grant money as an incentive for states to participate. So carrot and stick, that's good. Why 90%? Why not 100? What's up with that? And why encourage? See, if you only encourage states, you're going to have recalcitrant states who don't bother and who say, well, we're not going to, we'll go without the grant money because it's too much trouble. They won't do it. You're not going to have 100% compliance. People are going to get through. 90%? Well, 
John Russell Hauser might have been in the 10%. 10% of people is quite a lot of people. That's weak. That's weak as water. That is known as a loophole. And this is supposed to be closing loopholes. And there's a loophole right there. Right there. So in creating a bill that's designed to close loopholes, they've created a loophole immediately. Immediately. The bill would encourage best practices for responding to mental health crises, including the use of specially trained response teams by federal and local law enforcement agencies. Well, that's, that's fine. Uh, one of the things it would not do, it wouldn't address the background check shortcomings exposed in the Charleston, South Carolina shootings, where, as you know, accused white supremacist gunman Dylan Roof was allowed to buy a gun even though pending drug charges should have barred him. Now, the Washington Post story doesn't go into the details of why it wouldn't address that, but that was a massive loophole. Whether it wouldn't address it because it doesn't deal with the, the waiting part of the background check. See, the way the, the background check, the instant background check was set up and this is a massive loophole, is if the feds hadn't got back to the gun shop with a reply within the required time, they can go ahead and sell the gun to the person. And that's what they did to Dylan Roof. Now, the big gun dealers like Walmart, give them credit, don't do it. They've decided that it's not worth the hassle of one, two, three gun sales and take the risk that the person they're selling it to might be a crook or might be a lunatic. They don't think it's worth it, so they don't sell it even if the results of the background check haven't come back within the required time. But small dealers do because some small dealers do because they want the money. And this small dealer did. And when it came back, it said, oh, look, look at this guy. And John Cornyn's bill doesn't address that. Doesn't address that. But the NRA likes it. So I, I think you can be pretty sure that if the NRA likes it, it's not going to go far enough to satisfy gun safety advocates. But Republican-controlled Congress, it could go to a certain extent, but it's not going to get past the president. I think we can guarantee that. Stay with us. We will continue in just a moment, and when we do, we're going to talk about the horses are at the post. Well, they're not. They're at the gate. They're not at the post yet. They're at the gate. Some of them got three legs. Some of them got four. Some of them have got blinkers on. Some of them have got riders. Let's talk about the Fox News debate. When we continue, I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE.
I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. Delighted to be with you. Well, countdown, countdown, 25 hours until the kiddies table or the also rans for the three-legged horses at the Fox News debate. Nicholas Wapshot is the international editor of Newsweek, also an author. His newest book is titled The Sphinx. Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationist and the Road to World War II. And he joins me now as we handicap the Fox News debate tomorrow night. He's all set up. He's got my ties. He's got an extra bottle of gin. Uh, he's taking Lindsey Graham's <laughs> advice on that. He's going to start drinking around five because Lindsey says if you do that by nine, Donald Trump might start making sense. Do you think that's good advice? Uh, I'm not sure that Donald Trump ever is going to make particular sense, is he? Because almost everything he says is contradicted by the next thing he says. It doesn't hang together. That's one of the problems about being a one-man band like Donald Trump. You don't, and have never st stood for public office or any form of office before. You don't actually get all of your ducks in a row. Nothing necessarily hangs together. He plainly doesn't have any advisors he listens to. He doesn't mean that he's not paying people to look out for him or write some lines for him. But he doesn't seem to be concentrating on that. And that sort of basic uh, coherence, which is the, the sign of a good continent president-in-waiting, is missing in Donald Trump. So, yeah, and I wouldn't hold your breath for that. He's, I don't think he's ever going to be uh, entirely suitable, but we should be grateful that he's there, because he's, uh, it's, you know, this is a long, hot summer, and he's going to make all of our lives amazingly amused uh, tomorrow evening, don't you think? Oh, I, I, I definitely think so. But the fact is that he's at 23.4 points and Bush, who's the next one, Jeb Bush, is only at 12. So he's clearly speaking to, um, loudly and clearly to a segment of the electorate who, according to the Bloomberg focus group, are sick and tired of what they see as craven politicians. Yeah, it's, it's odd, though, that, isn't it? And it's true. I mean, it's not only happening on the right, it's happening on the left as well, because I think a lot of Bernie Sanders' uh, attraction is that he's an outsider, and he's never quite played the game. For instance, he's never even joined the Democratic Party, even though he wants to be the leader of it. They're, and they're, they're very similar sorts of people in the right and left, and I think they're disenchanted. And it doesn't say a lot, really, for the people who've governed us over the last 20 years or so, that there's such a large proportion of people who just feel disenchanted with what they've tried to do. They're not, they haven't been included. Uh, it's as if uh, the, Washington's been running its, itself, as we know, and it's true. Washington runs itself for its own purposes and for the lobbyists and the companies who pay enormous amounts of money in order to get all of their things done. And regular Joes, particularly as they grow, go up the age scale, I would guess if we knew uh, clearly exactly who it was that Trump and Bernie were attracting, you would find that they were way up the age range and they somehow feel they missed the bus. Somewhere along the line, uh, the promise of their early life has come to not so much. And uh, so they're right to be grumpy about it. And it's, uh, it's very good that they've got someone to let off steam with, I suppose. Uh, what they're trying to do is to, to make a protest. And it'll be the key to it really is whether it's purposeful or not. Is Donald Trump going to cause the, uh, the, the straight candidates, the ones who are more, more likely to become the candidate, the, the genuine presidential candidate, 
uh, is he going to keep them more honest? Is he actually going to get them to pay more attention to the sorts of things they're preoccupied by, uh, which includes things like immigration, which a lot of people are frightened about, whether we like it or not, they, they are. And it's true not only here, it's, a, it's true in Europe, too. Look at what's happening in Britain, with, uh, with, which is sort of besieged at the moment by uh, wannabe illegal immigrants trying to get into Britain. Uh, there is a sense uh, that immigration is something which has never been uh, handled properly. Now, I would say it's because no immigration reform has taken place, even though this president has wanted to do it. Uh, Ronald Reagan, a great paragon of conservatism, of course, allowed an amnesty. Uh, but amnesty is now a, a, a rotten word on, on the right, so no one advocates that. But those sorts of issues, on, on Bernie's side, I think, is to do with uh, the inequality that's grown up, the sense that America is now run by a plutocracy, that they've skimmed all of the cream off the milk for the last 10 years. Even after the crash, they, the people who had the money bounced back and had even more money, and the people who were struggling are struggling even more. And I think that uh, they are tapping in something real. Now, whether it's the right thing to do to, to back such hopeless candidates, I don't know. But, but are I they hopeless? I mean, but, I mean, Bernie might be because he's up against a Clinton or maybe even Biden juggernaut. But are they hopeless on the Republican side or are we maybe for the first time seeing something that we genuinely haven't seen before? A revolt. <laughs> well, I mean, of course... You don't have to know too much about history to know that there have been candidates like this in the past. Uh, I mean, you think of somebody like Huey Long, governor of Louisiana. Populism, particularly in this country, has always been very strong. The, the chance of an individual uh, saying rather like Trump all sorts of incoherent things, but each one of them rings a bell and brings together a great lot of people. That's a common thread in American politics. Uh, and it's part of the hucksterism that goes along with American politics, uh, which doesn't take place in politics in, in Western European countries, for instance. In America, there's always been this sort of circus aspect to the way that uh, they find a presidential candidate and then the way that they uh, the run the presidential campaign. And that's just uh, part of the, you know, life's rich tapestry. Uh, it's, it's all good color, I think. Uh, is, it, is it important that populism... Well, you know, the whole thing about populists... Uh, and it's the difference between a, a yeah, it's very, it's very important. A no, it's very important. We're about to go to a break. I, what I want you to think about, because I, I want to talk about this when we continue, and we, we're going to get some callers in too. I want you to think about the fact they've got three moderators who've all got binders full of questions, who've all got big egos. They got ten people on the stage. How is this possibly going to work? I contend it won't and can't. Stay with us if you would. I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. So Fox News debate, 10 on the stage, three moderators, insane or brilliant? Well, I think we all know that the chances are pretty good that internal Fox News politics dictated that there be three moderators. I'm talking with Nicholas Wapshot, who is the international editor of Newsweek and an author. Nicholas, what do you think? Is it insane to have Chris Wallace, Brett Baer and Megyn Kelly all trying to shuffle around uh, jostle for position and ask their own questions rather than, as I, as, as, a, as a talk show host who's done this for 17 years, would prefer to see it, 
one person running the show who can dictate an ebb and flow of topics, run the room, feel the room, and manage it? Uh, well, if you're a professional at this, uh, I'm looking at it from a slightly different point of view. Uh, debates traditionally have at least two moderators. It's very rare to have one. And, okay, and then get it down to two. Dump one of them. Yeah, well, yeah, I know, but this is a sort of technical problem for Fox to work out. If you think that this is a three-pronged debate, it's run simultaneously by Facebook, who I guess just like would look forward to fireworks, come what may, and uh, Wouldn't the we all? Republican National Committee, uh, who I hope, I guess, are hoping that, that, that these people are not going to turn out like a sort of room full of toddlers, as you were suggesting earlier, the children's table, and Fox News, and of course. Fox News is playing this sort of invidious position, as always, which is that they sort of sort of want it to go all right, but at the same time they want it to go off the rails because that's such great television. Oh, absolutely. They, look, they are looking for the point where they either ask, somebody either asks Trump a question or he goes beyond his one minute and they try to stop him and he won't, or, or, or he says something blistering, or, or one of the other nine is foolish enough because he said today that he, he said today, um, uh, what did he say? Um, uh, I'd like it to be very civil, he said today with a straight face. Okay, so one of, one of the others attacks him and he, he lobs a counterattack and we're off. Absolutely. The, I mean, it's, it would be hard to believe that he's going to keep quiet for, or, and, and behave properly for the whole duration. He doesn't On the other know hand, how. It, 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 it's, uh, nobody, nobody really wants it, including you and me. But the, it, it's in his gift. He can play it as he wants. And actually, it might be quite sly if he didn't send zingers or if he picked his zingers very carefully. Yes. One of the problems is that he seems to be making it up as he goes along. Therefore, he gets into the moment and can say something which is disgusting or offensive, like, you know, Jeb Bush's Mexican wife and so on, who, who then compounded the error by saying, I understand that she's a very good-looking woman, as if, you know, if, as if you need to know that about, you know, uh, Trump's views on other people's wives and so on. It's just disgusting. The, the other thing, by the way, I'm looking for is not only what's happening on the stage. And these are people who want to be the president. So on the whole, they're going to have to take anything that Trump throws at them on the chin. It would be very unwise to try to make fun of his hair, as we might say, say no to rugs, or rug jokes anyway. The, the other thing that I'm looking for is the audience. Do you remember that, that four years ago, three years ago, the, the, the great primary debates, we learned so much about who the GOP voters were from yes. the way that they could not resist hissing when they heard someone being nice about foreign people <laughs> or nice about immigrants. I mean, that, that's, I mean, how is Fox going to control that, I guess? Well, are they going to be banned from that? reacting like, like in a courtroom? It could be, but there will be shout-outs. I mean, you know, people will easily shout out in these things. Is it going to be the Jerry Springer show? It's going to be the Jerry Springer show, isn't it? It's going to be Maury, you know. There's going to be someone comes up, and then somebody comes up and punches them on the nose. I mean, it, 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 well, hey, this, this, I'm looking on the bright side. Uh, save us from anything dull. I'll tell you something that uh, Neville Chamberlain said of Winston Churchill. He said that debating with Churchill was like arguing with a brass band. And I think that's sort of the truth about Trump. The fact is that he, you cannot debate with Trump. He's, he's not a man, you know, you've seen him on his TV show. He actually doesn't brook any 
dissent. He doesn't want a discussion about anything. He's the decider, and he's in charge the whole time. He's in the saddle. And when he's being discomforted by other people who have a point of view, I would guess that he might go terribly wrong. But if he's wise... He will keep it civil, but I can't imagine that he can keep it civil because there's no evidence that he actually knows what civil means. No, there isn't. On on the stage besides him, there are other people who want to make their marks. You've got the uh, debate champion from Princeton who uh, wants to make his mark. You've got the governor from the state of Ohio, where the debate's being held, who um, only just declared his candidacy and has scrambled into the debate and who is known to have a temper. Yeah. Um, but who is very, very able. You've got Mike Huckabee, who has been doing media since he was a teenager, but who is known for making outrageous statements. Yes, absolutely. And also look out for somebody like Ted Cruz. Cruz is the only one of these people who has not condemned Trump at all for any of the remarks he made. Because, of course, Cruz is in very similar populist territory. Cruz also is a total casuist. He argues in a way that you can, you know that it's wrong, but it's very difficult to get in at him because of the way he expresses it. Well, that, no, I, 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 meant, I did I not say that Cruz was the Princeton debate champ? That's who I meant to say. Yeah, no, he, he's very good. He's a brilliant debater. Yeah, but at the same time, it's not, fa- it's not fair debating. It's, it's, it's tricksy. And that's going to be very... But, but he, he can't find himself in a position of criticizing Trump, so don't expect him to st- stick up for any principles, because what he's hoping is that Trump will eventually, and it probably will be the case, within the next like, six months, he'll say something so outrageous that he will, th- his support will totally collapse, or he will be nudged out in some way. And Ted Cruz is hoping to pick up all of those disenchanted, yes. Yes, quasi libertarian people. So Cruz won't be making the attack on him. It's much more likely to come from somewhere a bit desperate. I think Jeb Bush will keep his head down. He's got everything to gain. Right at the moment, Jeb Bush is benefiting from being the, you know, the calm adult in the room. And well, a, 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 yeah, except when he makes gaffes about women's health care and things like that. Oh, yeah, yes. With that wonderful, you know, don't you hate that remark, I misspoke? What you mean is I was caught saying the truth, as Mandy Rice Davis would say, you know. Truth caught on the hop is actually when people misspeak. And, well, of course, he shouldn't have said the thing in the first place about Planned Parenthood, which is outrageous. But I suppose he's, now he's very strange because he's actually moved, I think, the only known example of an Episcopalian who's become a Catholic, apart from Tony Blair, maybe. Uh, So he's actually moving into that sort of Roman Catholic territory of uh, not believing in contraception. So maybe he's being true to himself. Well, and, and then Chris, in, then, in an election against Hillary Clinton, you don't want to find yourself on the wrong side of women, I would say. No, and then, of course, Chris Christie told us too much about contraception this week when he told us that he's, that he's uh, used contraception and not just the rhythm method, which was more than any of us ever wanted to know about Chris Christie. <laughs> Um, exactly. You, you want to put more clothes on, Chris Christie. You certainly don't want to mentally take them off, do you? No, and, no, anyway, none of us wanted to see that. Out to Chris Christie that, that uh, the, uh, the definition of someone who uses the rhythm method, they're called parents. That's what... Uh, yeah, now, now he method. can be very pugnacious, and he is a good debater. Yeah, and he's actually, you know, these things are, you know, comparative, but he's actually on the moderate side of the Republican Party, too. And he's got himself into enormous trouble by sniping at the very people, the crazies, as he calls them, that uh, back people like Donald Trump uh, and Ted Cruz. So, yeah, he's in a good position to do it. The other thing is that actually Christie must know by now that he ain't going nowhere, in which case... 
he, could, he might afford to be able to make some sly remarks about Cruz and get some credit because he's not going to be the president either. Do you expect to see anything interesting coming out of the 5 p.m. debate with Jindal, Fiorina, Perry, Lindsey Graham and the others, Santorum? Uh, well, well, strangely, I think that they're in a very good position to make some ground because they will not have the distraction of Trump. They won't have this anxiety that, is he going to pick on me? What happens, you know, what, he, they don't have to uh, rehearse lines, smart remarks, in order to counter crazy remarks from Trump, which is, uh, you know, on hiding to nothing trying to do that. So actually, I think that uh, some of those might actually benefit a great deal. They won't get as much attention at all, uh, of course. But actually, these things... There are various layers of trying to assess whether a debate works properly. Uh, there's the instant sort of Twitter account, what's it going like live? There is the uh, next morning around the water cooler decision. And then give it two or three days and things sort of pan out and a sort of common wisdom comes out about who does well or badly. And it may well be that somebody like Lindsey Graham actually does rather well. Um, Carly Fiorina, it, it looks so awkward on the TV always whenever I've seen her that I can't imagine that she's going to make much ground. But I, strangely, I think that I would rather have, if I was running a candidate, I'd rather have a candidate in the also-rounds this time around uh, than in the, the, the top ten, because the top ten is real hot stuff. It's and real that, that hot could go stuff, yeah. Wrong. Yeah, they, they've got to be more relaxed. They've got, they've got and, and Rick, Rick Perry has said, you know, that they're going to have a serious debate and that they can, you know, they can, mm. they can talk about some issues. And they actually can talk about some issues and, and they, can, they can really get into it. And they might be able, they might actually say something that yeah. gets debated at nine o'clock. Absolutely. I agree with you entirely. And the other thing about Rick Perry, for, for instance, who you know, hates Trump, he plainly cannot disguise his dislike of Trump. They can actually say things about Trump, and Trump isn't there to answer back. So they're actually in a pretty good position in, uh, to, to draw the line between uh, the, the nutcase wing of the party and the, and the wing of the party that actually is going to, in the end, choose who the candidate is going to be. So actually, I think that they're in a pretty good position. I, I'll be watching the 5 o'clock and the 9 o'clock, of course, because I'm a, you know, a political junkie, as probably you are. Uh, but regular people, of course, won't be watching the 5 o'clock because it's, come, it's 5 o'clock EST, which means that you, know, you have to get up at dawn in California to be able to watch it. So no, 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 no. It's it. 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They'll be doing things. Exactly. They're busy. They're at work. They've got things yeah. to do. So, so we won't get the audience. On the other hand, that's not a bad thing, too, because the interpretation of the 5 o'clock debate might be more powerful than actually watching it for real. You need some sound bites just to illustrate the points they've made, and that might be a very effective way of getting their argument across. What will be fascinating, of course, when we get to the next debate, is to see who comes up from the second tier and who falls out of the top ten. I mean, it is a contest which is designed for you know, reality television shows, isn't it? You know, this is voting well, it is a reality now. television show at this point. <laughs> it is, yeah. It well, is a reality. I'm... And you're convinced that Trump cannot be the nominee? Uh, yes, I am. I know that sounds ultra-confident, but, hey, we've got uh, the best part of 18 months to go before we get to November. They've got to choose in a year's time, roughly, who the candidate is. I would think it most unlikely that the, the, the wealth that you have, uh, who traditionally back the Republican Party, the Northeastern establishment, the money people, the financial services industries, the bankers, all of the people who've always kept the Republicans up, they are not going to let it be hijacked. And the only people on the other side, and, and I don't think that actually they do support Trump, are the Kochs, 
And the Kochs are into something slightly different. And the Kochs actually, because they're libertarians rather than Republicans, they're putting money into things which are surprising, actually, for people who notionally support the Republican Party, which includes things like crim- criminal, criminal law. Reform. Yeah, they are. And criminal justice reform. No, I don't think they support Trump at all. I don't think they do. Cokes are the, you know, the real baddies and, uh, and bogeymen uh, uh, of the left, but actually they are not quite as uh, poisonous as one would think they are. Sure, they, they've encouraged, uh, and, and much to their delight, they've encouraged exactly the sort of uh, voters who are now supporting Donald Trump. They supported, they created the Tea Party effectively, and the Tea Party are un- unmanageable. Uh, but uh, I, I think that when it comes to the Cokes versus the establishment GOP, the establishment always wins out in the end. So for a long shot, I don't know what the odds are, and, and I'm not sure even where, where in this country we're allowed to vote on it, but I would put my money on somebody like Jeb much more than on somebody like uh, Trump. I think that Trump's... It'll happen. It'll collapse very quickly when it happens. But just for a bit of midsummer madness, I think he's perfect entertainment. Well, it's going it's to be fascinating, and we'll all start watching at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern. And I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you for helping to handicap, uh, handicap that horse race tomorrow night. <laughs> Thank you, Victoria. Appreciate it very much. Nicholas Wapshot, the international editor of Newsweek. Stay with us. I'm Victoria Jones. We've got Talk Radio News Service coming up next. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. Delighted to be with you. And coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk about the Iran deal and President Obama's speech today at American University, in which he compared, uh, this was towards the end of the speech, but it's getting a lot of play, um, the hardliners in Iran with the Republican caucus. And he got applause for that. And that has not gone down terribly well in the uh, Senate on the Republican side, by the way. Um, I think it might have gone down a little bit better on the Democratic side. I'm delighted to be joined by Justin Duckham from the Talk Radio News Service. Thanks for coming on, Justin. Hey, great to be here as always. So uh, what, what is hot? I know the, the House is gone. Congre- uh, the Senate is wrapping up. They're desperate to get out of town. The President's desperate to get out of town. Everybody's leaving except you and me. Uh, That's what it seems like. Uh, You know, today, I guess one of the big developments in the uh, Senate was in the upper chamber with uh, Senator John Cornyn, the Senate Majority Whip, announcing that he is going to be pursuing a piece of legislation that would essentially try to close the background check loophole for individuals who have uh, mental health issues. Uh, This is something that has actually already gotten the endorsement of the NRA and is going to be sort of an effort to try to ensure that individuals who may be... uh, 
uh, you know, suffering from mental illness, uh, you know, are met with the resources before they try to, um, you know, uh, purchase firearms and whatnot, sort of like what we, uh, you know, saw with the uh, loophole in effect in Charleston. So uh, pretty interesting move over there. Uh, this, of course, is coming one day after, um, you know, uh, the White House essentially declared that there is no, uh, no appetite for gun control. But, uh, again, this is, uh, you know, not the far-reaching measure that a lot of advocates have been calling for. Right. And, of course, on the same day as we've had a, a, a shootout in a movie theater just south of Nashville in Antioch. So, you know, uh, very, very, uh, very, very timely there. Um, and we've also seen, well, we're not seeing very much movement with the cybersecurity bill in the Senate. Looks like that's stalled. That just seems to be stop and go and not getting very far. What sort of response are we getting around town to President Obama's Iran speech at American University? Uh, well, I'm, you know, of course, it's coming as no surprise, but this is largely coming across, uh, you know, partisan lines. As you mentioned, a lot of the bigger aspects of the speech were based on the more colorful aspects of it, uh, not the least of which was his comparison with the hardliners. Uh, but this is being widely interpreted by a lot of people as the president effectively making the message that this is an existential sort of uh, decision that Congress has to make. Uh, of course, the decision to cast it with um, Iraq was another thing that has made a lot of headlines, saying that this is essentially... Uh, the most consequential, consequential foreign policy decision since the Iraq vote has certainly put, uh, you know, this into a pretty jarring perspective, considering how uh, how that all played out. So I think this is um, something that probably didn't um, really change too many minds, but probably solidified uh, some of the uh, some of the faithful, which of course was sort of the ultimate goal of this. And it was interesting that he chose to say it was the most consequential vote since Iraq, particularly since. Vice President uh, Biden, uh, I think, and, and John Kerry, the Secretary of State, voted for the Iraq war. And uh, Hillary Clinton as well, yes. Right. Um, he was uh, one of the uh, lone Democrats on that field to have been able to avoid that. Uh, but I think that just goes to show, um, you know, uh, you know, even, even those politicians did ultimately apologize, I believe, uh, for the most part, for endorsing that decision. Uh, but it really does show how, uh, you know, time and uh, sort of a rush to these sort of, uh, you know, hasty foreign policy decisions can have a negative impact on the U.S. Indeed. Well, Justin Duckham, Talk Radio News, thank you very much indeed for coming on with us. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you very much indeed. Stay with us. We've got a lot more to get to today. We're going to be talking about President Obama's speech, also about his attempt to sell the Iran deal. After the speech, he's going on vacation at the end of this week. And, of course, the House is already on vacation for five weeks, then the Senate's going off for a month, so everybody's leaving town, which means that it's actually restaurant week coming up in Washington, D.C. They do that in August. They reduce the prices at some of the finest restaurants in Washington, D.C. at a time when uh, people are out of town, so that those of us who couldn't normally get in or afford to go can actually go. It's kind of fun. Um, that's just, you know, interesting to those of us who like to go to restaurants. So that's happening, and he's going to be selling, 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 selling this deal. We're going to talk about that. And then later on, we're going to get back to the Republican horse race tomorrow night on Fox. And I want you to vote, those of you who were trying to get through before and couldn't get through, I want you to vote. I want to find out from you who you think is going to do best tomorrow night. Who is going to be the winner? Is there going to be a winner? There has to be. Somebody has to come out ahead tomorrow night. Who is going to be the winner? We're going to talk about that 
tomorrow night, and I'm going to want you to to weigh in and vote when we uh, when we continue after we've talked about the Iran deal. So stay with us. Much much more coming up. I'm Victoria Jones. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. For decades, inspectors will have access to Iran's entire nuclear supply chain, from the uranium mines and mills where they get raw materials to the centrifuge production facilities where they make machines to enrich it. And understand why this is so important. For Iran to cheat, it has to build a lot more than just one building or covert facility like Fordow. It would need a secret source for every single aspect of its program. No nation in history has been able to pull off such subterfuge when subjected to such rigorous inspections. And under the terms of the deal, inspectors will have the permanent ability to inspect any suspicious sites in Iran. And finally, Iran has powerful incentives to keep its commitments. Before getting sanctions relief, Iran has to take significant concrete steps, like removing centrifuges and getting rid of its stockpiles. If Iran violates the agreement over the next decade, all of the sanctions can snap back into place. We won't need the support of other members of the UN Security Council. America can trigger snapback on our own. On the other hand, if Iran abides by the deal, and its economy begins to reintegrate with the world, the incentive to avoid snapback will only grow. I'm Victoria Jones. I'm in for Leslie Marshall today. Delighted to be with you. That, of course, was President Obama speaking at American University in Washington, D.C. late this morning, selling the Iran deal to... Anybody who will listen, particularly, of course, to Congress, because they are going to vote in September on the accord. But he also wants to sell the American people because Congress is, the House is gone, Senate's going home, and they are going to get people in their ears for the next four or five weeks, and he wants people to be putting in their ears, vote for the deal, vote for the deal. It's a great deal. So he was making the point, and it was very interesting. Uh, He entertained and made his case to House Democrats last week at the White House, and several of them came out of that meeting afterwards and said they had never seen him more passionate, more personal, and more energized about an issue than he was about the Iran deal, as well as incredibly well informed, that this really matters to him. So this is, this is interesting. This is, this is very personal to President Obama. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the speech. We're also going to talk about what next. Suppose it goes through. He has the votes to overcome a veto, which is likely. What 
next. We're joined by Dr. Harlan Ullman, who serves on the senior advisory boards for the Supreme Allied Commander Europe, one of NATO's two strategic commanders and commander of U.S. European Command. He's also a senior advisor, a member of the Strategic Advisors Group at the Atlantic Council, also sits on the advisory board of business executives for national security, both nonpartisan think tanks in the fields of national security and international affairs. He is, in fact, very brainy. And I'm very pleased that he's joining us. He's an expert in this field. Thank you very much for coming on with us. Uh, Victoria, it's always good to be back with you. And I might also plug my book, A Handful of Bullets, How the Murder of Archduke Franz Ferdinand Still Menaces the Peace, which is very relevant to what's happening today in Iran. Thank you very much. Yes, please plug plug away. Plug away. Amazon? <laughs> Amazon? Everywhere. Every, everywhere. A hand of bullets. A handful of bullets. Handful of bullets. That's all yeah. it takes. If you're interested, if you're interested in what's going on, please read my book because you'll find it very provocative. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's talk briefly about the uh, speech, and then let's talk about what next. What did you think? This is one of the best speeches the president have given, has given. Wow. Um, I have been extremely critical of this president in many of his policy decisions, and I say that as an independent. But this speech was in plain English. It was forceful. It made all the arguments except one to refute the critics. And the one argument that the administration is going to have to deal with more forcefully uh, is the role of the International Atomic Energy uh, Agency, which is charged with the verification and the fact that its arrangement with Iran is kept confidential, and members of Congress yeah. will rightly ask, we should see the deal. The administration has to answer that particular question, and if it does so, which I think it can, then it should be in a very strong position. But for the moment, that is the first weak link that let's, has to be let's overcome. Let's talk about that. Let's break and talk about that, because that, in fact, came up today because, now I can't find it, um, but Mr. Amano, who is the, the head of the, uh, the, head of the, uh, the IAEA, was in town, Yukia Amano, met with members of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee today. And he said uh, that he has a legal obligation to keep the document between the IAEA and Iran confidential. Imagine if a country provides me with confidential information and I do not honor the commitment. No country will share information with us, he told reporters after the meeting. That is the case with the United States, too. We have a confidential agreement with the United States, and I cannot share it. So he did not give them the agreement, and he will not give them the agreement. And uh, so this is exactly the sticking point that you're talking about. It's and the only one, really, because uh, if you just distrust the Iranians, then no argument is going to make sense. If you go through the deal point by point, uh, there are strong arguments, and it's a, I won't say it's a good deal. It is a sound deal, and it's well-written, and it's very well-composed. And I would also say this is the 70th anniversary of the atomic bombs being dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yes, tomorrow, yeah. This deal could have a similar impact, whether it succeeds or fails. This could be a strategic game changer for ill or for good. And we have to recognize that because it could mean that Iran could eventually reenter the international community. Or if the deal fails, uh, who knows, it could lead to conflict. You, the, another argument that I that was brought up to me at lunch yesterday by a friend of mine who wants to wants to like the deal, but made the point, and this has been made to me by others, that 
10 or 15 years is just not very long. 10 and 15 years is, is lifetime, and they are banned forever, forever, from having a nuclear weapon. And if at some stage they decide to abrogate the agreement, then we still have the options less, that, are, that are available to us today. So that is a very, very poor argument. I would also note that the Supreme Leader has issued a fatwa, which people should know is a religious order, that declares weapons of mass destruction, including, weapons of, including nuclear weapons, as immoral, and under no circumstances would Iran ever get them. Do you think anyone and, believes that, though? Uh, well, I, I understand nobody believes it, but remember during the nine-year Iran-Iraq war when Iraq used chemical weapons against Iran, Iran did not retaliate. And so while that is not proof of anything, it does suggest that there is uh, uh, more here than meets the eye. And I believe that Iran has gotten to the point, like Japan, where if it decided it had to have a nuclear weapon, it should get one. And I don't think it wants to go any further. But having said that, I, and I, the issue is not whether you like the deal. You have to understand the consequences. You have to understand where we, are, where we are headed. The Middle East is a disaster that gets worse day by day. Iran is part of the problem, but it's also part of the solution. How so? If it foregoes nuclear ambitions, nuclear weapons ambitions, it seems to me it can be brought into the international community, and I believe the Ayatollahs understand that's where the public wants to go. It can be very useful in Iraq, where it is uh, the uh, leading um, influencer, because without Iraq, without Iran, Iraq would be in even worse chaos. It also is very important in terms of Syria, because it's supporting Assad, and there are signs that Iran may actually loosen its relationship with Syria. So there are all sorts of things that need to be done, especially taking on the Islamic State. And I believe one of the reasons why Iran decided to negotiate at this stage was because its fear of the Islamic State as being existential to it. So there are all sorts of very positive things that can go out from this agreement if it is sustained, because people certainly in Israel and some even in Iran or, and some many in the United States perhaps are out to kill the deal. And if oh, yeah, the people wrecked, are definitely out to kill the deal, yeah. I think that the consequences are likely to be uh, serious, if not far worse. What about, this is a slight sidebar, but um, I'm, I'm looking at it from the point of view f uh, for a moment of the Israelis. This book, this 416-page book that apparently has come out that Ayatollah Ali Khamenei has written called Palestine, which talks about and lays out his strategy for why the state of Israel should not exist and how, in fact, to um, make it cease to exist by bringing about low-level warfare in Israel of, of, of such an extent that, um, Israeli, uh, that, that, that Jews will choose to leave the country. Well, Israel, actually, I have not, I'm not aware of that particular book, Victoria, but there's a larger issue. It's called demographics. And ultimately, Arabs are going to vastly outnumber Jews. That is a big issue. And I believe the United States will be providing Israel with sufficient advanced technology, so those are not going to be uh, things to worry about. And I think that the more Iran can be brought into the international community and also be used as a lever against Saudi Arabia. Here's a question for you. We believe that Iran is the, is the strongest supporter of, of state terrorism, correct? That is now what we're terrorism, told. Now, the terrorism that they support is Shia terrorist. 
There is, however, a more violent, virulent problem, Sunni terrorism, namely the Islamic State and al-Qaeda. Who supports them? Who supports them? Which Sunni country does? And are you going to tell me that Shia, that Shia extremism is much more of a threat to the United States than the Islamic State and al-Qaeda? So we have to put this in proportion. There are other countries that do support Sunni uh, violence and Sunni radicalism, and that, to me, is a much larger threat to the United States. So we have to be a little more balanced in our views here. Stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. When we continue, we're going to talk much more about this with Dr. Harlan Ullman as we talk about what next with the Iran deal. When we continue, we're going to talk about sanctions, which is a big piece of this and has sort of gone away as the only issue that now is being talked about is the IAEA piece of it. So stay with us. We're going to talk about that and much more. When we continue, I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. Leslie Marshall, The Simple Truth in a Complicated World, 888-6-LESLIE. In fact, it's those hardliners who are most comfortable with the status quo. It's those hardliners chanting death to America who've been most opposed to the deal. They're making common cause with the Republican caucus. That was the line. That was the line that got the attention today. And, of course, that was not the substance of the address. But that was that was the one we had to play for you. I'm Victoria Jones, in for Leslie Marshall today, do- joined by Dr. Harlan Ullman, who serves on so many boards that he is an iron, in fact. Um, uh, and uh, he's uh, extremely eminent in the field of national security and uh, also uh, has a book that he is going to plug now. A Handful of Bullets, How the Murder of Archduke Franz Ferdinand Still Menaces the Peace. And if you want to know about Iran and what to do, read my book. There you go. Let's uh, let's talk about sanctions, because for a while, everybody, as, as the negotiations were going on, was saying, oh, the sanctions, the sanctions, the sanctions. And then suddenly, the whole issue of whether sanctions was important faded away. Uh, it's, it's revived a little bit today. Um, as as some uh, people who were held hostage have filed a lawsuit um, saying that they don't think that uh, sanctions should be lifted because they don't they don't want any of the um, they don't want the billions of dollars in Iranian assets to be released as part of the Obama administration's nuclear deal. Um, but uh, sanctions has gone away as part of as the issue regarding the deal, and yet it seems that this is still very important. There is going to be an awful lot of money at play that Iran is going to get, and even if sanctions snap back, that money's not coming back. Well, uh, Victoria, first of all, uh, you have to realize that why has the sanctions issue gone away? And quite frankly, if you read the negotiation and the, uh, uh, the comprehensive agreement, uh, 
it is striking in what Iran has given up. And one of the things Iran has given up is a proportional release of sanctions. That is to say, sanctions will not be relieved until October when Iran has conformed with the agreement to reduce its uh, centrifuges, get rid of its enriched uranium, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so sanctions is, are really not an issue. Now, regarding money Iran is going to get back, Iran has got $500 billion at least in liabilities in terms of money it owes to its public, to infrastructure, to the budget it can't fill. And so while no doubt some of the money that's coming back to Iran will go in ways that we don't like, to Hezbollah, possibly to supporting Syria and other things, um, Iran has got a, a basically a bottomless pit for the money that it is owed. Furthermore, the Iranian oil industry is going to take several years to get restarted. So it is not such that when the sanctions are lifted, all of a sudden Iran is going to turn into an economic juggernaut. It's going to take five to ten years for it to repair itself. So there's plenty of time here. And if Iran complies, as it said it would, with the agreement and the inspections and what it's supposed to do, we will have plenty of access, plenty of visibility, plenty of opportunity to take other actions if Iran decides to violate it. But that leads me to the other two weaknesses that we have so far. What next? The administration has been not very good in execution, from the Affordable Health Care Act to its strategic pivot to Asia. Execution is bad. So I want to know what the administration is going to do, what next. We failed to ask that question when we went into Iraq in 2003. So let's say the deal survives, whether it is approved by Congress or the veto is not overridden. Let's move down the road towards the end of part of this year, latter part of this year. Uh, what's next? And by the way, what is the regional strategy that we are putting in place that can deal with both success or failure? What happens if in six months or a year the deal goes bad for whatever reasons? What happens if the deal is going well? What is our strategy? Who is going to be in oversight? Who is going to be ensuring not only us, because what people don't realize, this is not a U.S.-Iranian bilateral deal. There's the permanent five of the U.N. Security Council plus the European Union. So you've got Britain, France, China, and Russia, and Germany. So you've got six other participants in this. What is our long-term strategy? And that's something the administration has to put in place so that every opportunity for this deal to succeed is there. And should it go wrong, we've got insurance policies that we can do in the event of failure. That's what concerns me right now, much more than the uh, specifics of the arrangement and the agreement itself. I wish we had more time. That is that that is provocative thought for me to take away from this and I'm 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 going to give it a lot of thought. Thank you so much Dr. Harlan Ullman for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Victoria Jones. Stay with us. Much more coming up. I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. Delighted to be with you. So we have the first Fox News debate tomorrow night. Ten horses running in the big race. In the little race, there are seven ponies trotting first. But we're looking at the big race now. And I want you to give me a call. And um, Mark, I need the number. I don't have the number. 
if you could uh, just give me the number. It's 8886-LESLIE, 8886-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543, 888-653-7543. Which of these 10 horses is going to be first past the post? Here they are. John Kasich, Chris Christie, Mike Huckabee, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio, Scott Walker, Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, Ben Carson, Donald Trump. Which horse is going to be first past the post? Who is going to fall at a jump? Who's going to fall at a water jump? Who's not going to be able to get out of the gate because they don't like being ridden with blinkers on? I need to know. I need you to call. This is, in fact, a poll. Your vote counts. I want to count it up. I want to tally. I want at the end of the show today to know from you who is going to win the debate. Who is first past the post? 888-653-7543. And why? Why is your particular, and you may hate their guts. I don't care. You don't have to like them to think they're going to do the best. Just tell me why you think they will. 888-6-LESLIE. Give me a call. And who is going to tank? Michael's in the Bronx. Hi, Michael. Hey, hey, Miss Victoria. Hey. So... Um, less than 24 hours is the GOP debate. Yep. Well, let the fight show begin, if I can call it that. Yes. But uh, as far as who's going to win, pretty much it's a toss-up amongst all of them, and only because they all know how to duck and dodge questions. They all know how to really spew out a whole bunch of lies against the progressives, the liberal Democrat Party, Hillary Clinton, President Obama, you name it. They have uh, over an eight or even ten-year-plus history of lying, all right? Yeah, but who is it? Is it the chestnut? Is it the gray mare? I mean, well, there isn't a gray mare. That the the gray mare is in is in is in the kiddies table. Who is it? Who is who is it going to be? Is it the stallion? Who who is who is going to Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Uh, it could be Ben Carson, only because not much is um, said about him. And, it, you know, he, he probably knows how to duck and dodge stuff also, but he doesn't face as much controversy as the other people. Now, who's going to falter? I am going to guess Donald Trump, and that is based upon, I don't know if you heard about this, it was a news story early today, and in fact, the New York Daily News uh, published it, and it's based on a report in the New York Magazine that Donald Trump, in his last interview with Fox News' Megyn Kelly, who happens to be one of the moderators in this debate, she grilled him so, like, overly done or whatever, according to the report, and that Mr. Trump went to former New York City mayor, and if I may call a racist, Rudy Giuliani, to try to talk to the uh, president or the CEO of Fox News to see if um, he could pass the word to Kelly and the other moderators to take it easy 
apparently, that's very interesting. Apparently, Mr. Trump is uh, fearful of facing live television embarrassment from whatever questions that Miss Kelly might put to him. I do not like Megan Kelly myself for just uh, pretty much the same. Oh, she's no, she's very competent. Megan Kelly is a very competent interviewer. Well, she made. I understand her being competent, but she has had made some controversial statements beforehand. She, she, she but, may have made controversial but, statements, but she's a very competent interviewer. But let me, but let me add this part. Real I would quick. love to see her grill Donald Trump to the point that she cracks that whip politically speaking on Mr. Trump. And let's see if Mr. Trump thinks people think high and mighty. Will Miss Kelly tame the big lion, if you want to call it He that? is not a lion, excuse me. Excuse me, I'm very sensitive about lions right now after Cecil. He's not a lion. It was just a figure of peace, but the thing is, let's, let me rephrase that. Will Miss Megyn Kelly humble um, Mr. Trump and get him off this high pedestal that he Well, it's going to be interesting. I want to thank you for your call, Michael. I've got Michael. you down. Thank you. Chuck is in Santa Fe, and our number is 888-653-7543. Who is going to win the race tomorrow night at the Fox News Republican debate? And who is going to fall at a fence? Chuck in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Leslie. Thank you for the call. I would think that uh, Trump is going to win because he's such a uh, media darling, and he makes news. It's not good news. He just makes news. That's all. Really? Uh, you you of, think he you th- what you think he's just going to dominate? No, I didn't say dominate. I said he's a media darling because he makes news. Uh-huh. He, he is news. I and I don't I don't care for him. I wouldn't vote for him. I'm delighted to see him running if he would for the uh, Republican uh, uh, the Republican spot at the trough. Uh, but I don't think he'll win, and I can't imagine him as a world leader. I and and, and who do you who do you think of these of these ten is most likely to fall at a fence? I have no idea. I think that uh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't understand that particular question. But you know, the, who? Well, who is most likely to mess up during the debate? Ah, I think Cruz could. Cruz, interesting. Yeah, he'll put his he'll put a couple of feet in his mouth. Interesting. So, that's my take on it at the moment. But uh, McDonald is just a, I think he's a media joke, and it's, yet it sells uh, airwaves and uh, sells newspapers. So. All right. That's thanks. My, thanks very much, guess. Chuck. Thank I appreciate you. your call. Bye. Thank you. So uh, the, the the calls are coming in, and we're getting votes for who I, I've 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 cast them as horses in a race, and it's who is going to be first past the post, and who is going to fall at a fence, and uh, we're getting votes. And the ten candidates, by the way, in the Fox debate tomorrow are Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Ben Carson, Donald Trump, Rand Paul, Scott Walker, Mike Huckabee. Chris Christie and John Kasich. Who is going to win and who is going to fail? Manny in Massachusetts. Hi. Hello. Yes. Uh, in the words of Donald Trump, they're all a bunch of losers anyway. But I think Trump is probably going to win. 
just because the bar is so low for him, because he never debated before. Yeah, and, well, and, and he's second, been saying it's low, Scott too. Walker. And the one that's going to tank for me will be uh, John mm. Kay. See, I can't pronounce the last name. But only because the Republicans don't like him at all. Oh, that's interesting. Kasich, you think is gonna is is gonna fail? Interesting. And and it's and the the debate is being held in his state. It's in Cleveland. That would be embarrassing. Yes, it would be. But like I said, the Republicans really don't like him because he's the most he's the most level headed uh, most level headed person out, out of all of them. So then I think he's not gonna do well. Maybe maybe they'll gang up on him or something. Yes. Yes. Wow! I mean, he said he said once that um, that uh, you know when his day comes and he goes to meet the Lord, that the Lord is not going to be worried about how much taxes, how much he lowered the taxes. He said it's going to be the Lord is going to be more worried about what he did for the poor. So that's not going to run in the Republican Party whatsoever. Well, not with this crew. I mean, with some in the Republican Party, not necessarily with this crew. Well, thank you very much, Manny. Thank you. Appreciate it. 888-653-7543 is our number. In the Republican debate on Fox News tomorrow night, who is going to win? If you imagine it is a horse race, who is going to be first past the post? At the moment, Trump is in the lead. Do you want Trump to win? Do you think he's going to win, really? Do you think none of these others are capable of breaking out of the pack? I'm going to take more of your calls coming up. If you don't want Trump to win, you better get your call in right now at 888-653-7543. I'm Victoria Jones. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. We're handicapping big race. Well, actually, the race is uh, the stakes are high. It is the Fox News presidential debate tomorrow night in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, the, at the, uh, the, that particular race course. And um, the, there are three riders for 10 horses, which is a little awkward. The 10 horses, of course, we know who they are. Jeb Bush, Donald Trump, Ben Carson, Ted Cruz, John Kasich, Rand Paul, Scott Walker, Marco Rubio, Chris Christie, and Mike Huckabee. Who will win this race and who will fall a defense? In other words, who is going to mess up? Taking your calls, getting your votes right now, Donald Trump is in the lead. Yes, and we have a complete mix of those who are going to mess up. Aaron is in Virginia. Hi, Aaron. Hey, how you doing, Victoria? Great, thanks. Um, I think uh, as far as who's going to win, it's going to be Scott Walker. Yeah. And I think as far as who's going to fall flat on their face, it's probably going to be uh, Governor Christie. Chris, now tell me uh, real quick, why? 
Uh, is Christie or Walker? A Walker. I think Walker's going to win because he actually has uh, their ideology down as far as uh, the speaking format. And I think probably Donald is going to be speaking more off the cuff and looking for quick one-liners. But overall, I don't think he's going to come off as very confident. It's going to be interesting to watch. People are probably going to watch the debate primarily because of him to see what he's going to say. But I think as far as the overall rating, as far as policy is concerned, Trump, I mean, he's definitely going to lose that one. And what is Christie going to do wrong? I think Christie's going to try to overexert himself because until, That's a mistake. until Donald got into it, he was kind of the one that had the the, the label of, uh, you know, speaks his mind and et cetera, et cetera. And since Donald came in, he kind of really stole all of that thunder. And if you've been watching any of Chris Christie's uh, press conference lately for the last few weeks, he seemed like he's lost. He's out of touch of, you know, which side of himself does he want to portray. Interesting. Well, yeah, maybe he'll go too far. Uh, he went a bit too far with that birth control remark the other day, so maybe he'll uh, make another mistake. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate your vote. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Michael's in Massachusetts. A lot of calls from Massachusetts today. Hi, Michael. I've figured out exactly who's going to win this debate, and it's going to be the American public. When they see this parade of clowns go across their TV screen, they're going to figure out that to get some kind of common sense perspective on the disappearance of the middle class, along with a whole bunch of really other important socioeconomical issues, they're going to have to go somewhere else than the Republican Party. Wow. You give that. Oh, and your dog's chiming in, too. Is that, did your dog agree, or is that a separate vote? I think it's a separate, it's a vote for the American people waking up because these people are going to expose themselves. Oh, I do hope not. I don't want any of that. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much for taking my call. Thank you so much. Jeff is in Arizona. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I'm doing great. Whereabouts in Arizona are you? I'm over in Lake Havasu, beautiful Lake Havasu. Oh, lovely. I used to live in Arizona. I miss it very much. Yes, it's lovely. Um, okay, so it's not in this uh, debate. It's not who's the best debater. It's who is has the most gravitas. And the person that's going to take that, of course, is Donald Trump. And the reason is, is because he is the art of the deal. He is the one that can make a deal. He is the one that can... Uh, complete things, and these other these other candidates just don't they don't have it. And uh, the American people want do not want someone to explain policy. We want someone that is going to make America great again. And none of these other candidates will do that. Don't but you I, don't no. you don't you think America's great now? I think America is great now. I think we could be. I think we could gain some of the some of the things we've lost for the past eight years. So, so I, I I do think we are great. I mean, because what makes us great is, is not the politicians; it's the American people, you and I. This is what makes America great. Yeah, it is. It definitely is what makes America great. That's why I don't understand that hat. You know, it's like I I just want to say to him, don't you think we're great? Because I I, I think we're pretty darn great, actually. So I just don't understand that hat. Absolutely. Well, there you got Donald Trump, who is going to be right in the middle. So he's going to get all the 
the camera angles. Yes. It's going to go past him. Yes. Well, who is going to fail? Who's going to fall at a fence? I think it's either, like the other guy said, Christy is a real loudmouth, and he, he doesn't have anything going on. And uh, the other one would be the Kasich, who is a rhino. Uh, that guy doesn't, he doesn't have a clue. Like, he's such a big rhino in, in for conservatives. Uh, you got to pick no, one. You got, no you got to pick one, because I've got to vote for Christy, and I've got to vote for Kasich. So you got to pick one. Kasich. You're picking Kasich. All right, I got you down. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Jim's in Las Vegas. Hi, Jim. Ask you one question before I put my vote. Yeah. I I love your news stories on Tom Hartman and and Leslie and a few other TV uh, radio shows. I, how do you, who picks those stories? Me. You or you do personally? Yes, I do personally myself. Oh wow! On my own much you have a great menu i love when you get on on the radio anyway my choice for tomorrow night is ted cruz he's the winner i think he's the winner because i think he's the master debater well he was the debate champ at princeton pardon me he was the debate champ at princeton oh i didn't know that i heard he was in the debate uh class i didn't know he was yeah But he's champ at giving lies and tell lies like he did at the last debate the other night about the uh, Obama, Kerry, Hillary uh, administration are the biggest terrorists in the world. If he can spread lies like that and Republicans can believe him, then Republicans have no reliability whatsoever. So. I'm just hoping to see him get up there and make a full. Which he's gonna, he, and him and Donald, they were supposed to be good boyfriends because he wanted to have lunch with Donald, and Donald didn't like that idea. So I think it's going to be Ted Cruz. Who's going to lose? Who's going to lose? Well, the, the other nine of them. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you this. I lived in Florida during Hurricane Andrew. And I'll tell you what, Jeb Bush was a much better governor of Florida than his brother was a, a president of the United States. So who? Before, pick one. I'm going to pick one. Okay. Well, Christie's going to lose. Christie. All right. Got you down for Christie. I'm going to move on. I got one more call to take real quick. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you. Bob's in Palm Springs. Hi, Bob. Hi. Hi. I love your work. Thank you. Uh, I think Chrissy will trip falling out of the starting gate. Uh, I think um, Rand Paul will win, but be ignored by Fox News. They can't stand him. Interesting. And uh, I think ultimately the fix is in for Jeff Bush. It's been in for, uh, for years. All right. Thank you so much for your call. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. So here are the results. The results are that Trump will win, although a vote for the American people also. But Trump got the most votes. Um, and the loser is Chris Christie. Chris Christie will fall at the water fence. He's going to fall on the kiddie table, which is, that's pretty scary That is a kids. scary thought. And yes, that is a very scary thought. That 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 is what is going to happen tomorrow night. There you go. That That is the results. And I'm out of here. Thank you so much.
To women who hoped to evade the ticking clock of time, Dr. Frederick Brandt was the most potent drug dealer in the world. And the dealer got high on his own supply. From Imperative Entertainment and the team behind Broken Hearts comes a new series that will challenge everything you know about fame, fortune, and the fear of growing old. I'm Justine Harmon, and this is The Baron of Botox. Botox.